Mark chapter 10. I am the greatest. I am the greatest thing that ever lived. I shook up the world. I'm the king of the world. You must listen to me. I am the greatest. So said Muhammad Ali. According to Muhammad Ali, he is the greatest. According to Time magazine, though, the greatest man of this century was Albert Einstein. According to popularity on the internet, um, the most connected person, the most Twitter followers and Facebook followers is Barack Obama, followed a close second by Lady Gaga. Disturbing. But how do you measure greatness? Kevin Rudd is not the Prime Minister anymore. Is he any less great this week than he was last week? Who would you say is the greatest person who ever lived? How do you measure greatness? How great are you? Today's passage is about how to be a great one in the eyes of God. We all want to be great in the eyes of other people, but do you want to be great in God's eyes? Then listen carefully to the passage that we're looking at today, because it is how to be great in the kingdom of God. Open with me to Mark 10.32 if you're not there already. There's an outline on the inside of your bulletin. And we begin first with Jesus. For Jesus, the path to greatness is via Jerusalem. Now that has the disciples concerned. Look at verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. Jesus is marching ahead to Jerusalem. The people behind him are afraid. What are they afraid of? Are they scared of what lies ahead in Jerusalem for Jesus? Are they scared of his last words? If you look back to the last words he spoke last week, where he said that those who follow him should expect persecution too, is that what they're afraid of themselves? Whatever the case, I'm sure they'd like to hear some reassuring words from Jesus because they are afraid. And previously in Mark's gospel, when people have been afraid, Jesus has calmed them. Like back in Mark 5 with Jairus, he said to Jairus when Jairus was fearing for his daughter's life, don't be afraid, just believe. Or when the disciples were in the boat and they were terrified, Jesus said, have courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. I'm sure they'd like to hear some don't be afraid words now from Jesus, but in fact the words Jesus speak could only serve to fuel their fears. Look at verse 33. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said. <clears throat> and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. In the most detail so far, Jesus explains what's going to happen to him ahead in Jerusalem. This is the third of these prophecies, Mark 8, Mark 9, Mark 10, but this one has the most detail. He'll be betrayed to his enemies. He'll be handed over to them. He'll be mocked and taunted. He'll be made a fool of, spat on, 
whipped and then killed and then rise again. And as we read on in Mark's Gospel, which we're not going to do in this series, but we will, that is exactly what happens to Jesus. How did he know that's what would happen? How did he predict it with such accuracy? Well, all those things are straight from the Old Testament where that is what was predicted even before Jesus would happen to him. Isaiah 50 talks about the servant of the Lord being struck on the back, insulted, spat upon. Isaiah 53 talks about him being rejected and despised and handed over to be killed. I wonder how many times Jesus had sat there reading those very passages knowing that he was reading about himself, knowing that it was talking about him and what he would go through. wonder what it was like for him to read Isaiah 50. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. I wonder what it was like to read that and know it was you. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows. He bore the sin of many. He was delivered because of their iniquities. Those passages are talking about him and he's letting his disciples here know what he needs to do. This is the path that lies ahead for him if he's going to rescue his people from their sins. Something very significant lies ahead for Jesus in Jerusalem. He is the servant that we read about in Isaiah. And only after he's done all this will he rise from the dead and take his place back at the Father's side in his glory. For Jesus, the path to greatness is through being a servant. It's through dying to rescue us. After Jesus shares this with his disciples, the response of James and John in verse 35 Seems to be inappropriate though. Jesus has just talked about suffering and dying. What do they say? They're concerned about themselves. Verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's a strange way to reply to someone who's just told you that they're going to die. I mean, at least with Peter back in chapter 8, there was some recognition of the horror that Jesus was about to face. Peter said, never, Lord, this will never happen to you. Get behind me, Satan, was what Jesus said there. James and John say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What is interesting, though, is Jesus does not rebuke James and John like he did with Peter. Look at what he says, verse 36. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. Well, that even seems more inappropriate. But again, look how Jesus responds. Verse 38. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm being baptized with? Jesus is talking about his suffering. We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. In other words, you will suffer. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom it has been prepared. 
Jesus doesn't rebuke them. He actually answers their question. And as inappropriate as their question might sound, can we be on your right and left in the kingdom of God? I think they're actually onto something. Because Jesus has been talking about the coming of the kingdom of God. And they've realized that on the other side of Jesus' suffering is his resurrection and the coming of God's kingdom. And they want to be great in the kingdom of God. And Jesus doesn't correct that. He doesn't say that that is a wrong thing to desire. In fact, he goes on to tell them how they can be great in the kingdom of God. The way to be great in the eyes of God is to serve. Verse 42, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. See, according to the Gentiles, uh, that's just the nations, the people of this world, people use the authority given to them for their own advantage. The great ones in our society... The people with lots of money or power, they use their money or they use their power to make sure they stay on top. There might be some exceptions, but that's the natural way of this world. The way to greatness in this world is to claw your way to the top. Use your influence, use your power to get yourself ahead of the pack. Get yourself a good break. That's not the way to greatness in God's kingdom. The way to become great in God's kingdom is to serve to become the lowest of all. Because in the kingdom of God, it's not those who've risen to the top who'll stay at the top. It's those who've put themselves at the bottom who God will exalt. Verse 31, back at, back at verse 31. Many who are first will be last, and the last first. Being great in the kingdom of God is not about putting yourself first. It's about putting yourself last as you serve other people. And that is exactly what Jesus did. Look at verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The greatest one of all, King Jesus, the creator of the world, if anyone deserved to be served, it was him. But that's not why he came. He came to serve. He came to give his life as a ransom. A ransom is just like in the movies where there's a hostage. A ransom is where you pay a price to set someone free. You and I were slaves, separated from God. There was a price on our heads because of the wrong we've done that had to be paid. And that price was paid by Jesus when he died on the cross as a ransom. I love a bargain when I'm shopping. I Love eBay. Some of you who know me will know that. If I get 10% off on a, a computer, I'm thrilled. I bought a white shirt last week from Rivers and it was marked down from $50 to $10. Made my day. I can spot something that's, that's overpriced a mile off. It's funny because as I was reflecting on this passage during the week, thinking about the price that God paid for me, it seemed wrong. It seemed way overpriced. How could I be worth that much to God? 
The cost to ransom my life was Jesus, the Son of God. And Peter, who was listening here to Jesus, he works it out. Later on, Peter writes, You know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That precious lamb, the Son of God, Jesus, came into the world to serve. And if we want to be great in the kingdom of God, then we need to be like him. In 1543, a monk caused a revolution in the way people think. His name was Copernicus. Now, before Copernicus, people thought the earth was at the centre of the universe. When they looked out at the night sky, they saw a sphere out there with all the stars attached to it, rotating round the earth. The earth was at the centre. The sun goes round the earth. The stars go round the earth. Now, we know that's not the case. We know that's ridiculous, but that's what they thought. Then along came Copernicus, and he suggested it was the wrong way round. He said that the sun was at the centre of the solar system. That was so outrageous it was opposed, but after a while, eventually, people changed their thinking. We call it a Copernican revolution. The earth wasn't at the centre anymore, the sun was. And when people made that change in their thinking, everything changed. Suddenly they had a new model of the universe, of of the solar system, how the planets moved. It all fell into place. It all made sense. That's the kind of change we need to have in our thinking about ourselves. Naturally, we have things wrong. Naturally, we put ourselves at the centre of our universe. We take God, who should be at the centre of the universe, and we push him off to the side. And we say to God, I don't want my life to revolve around you. I want you to revolve around me. I want you to be there for me. And we think that we are at the centre of the universe. We live as if life is about us. We spend our money on ourselves. We make decisions based on what will make us happy. We worry about what other people think about us. We get upset if we get treated badly. And we have a world full of six billion people who each think that they are at the centre of the universe. That won't work. We need to have a Copernican revolution because we're not at the centre of the universe. Jesus is. And when you have that change in your thinking, when you put Jesus at the centre of your life and submit your life to him, everything else will fall into place. You won't want to be served anymore. You'll want to serve other people because you're not at the centre anymore. Jesus is. Now, if you're here this morning and you still think that you're at the center of the world, you're not living in reality. One day you will be in for a shock because the first will be last and you will meet Jesus who is at the center of the universe. Those who think they are important will be stripped of their position because greatness in the kingdom of God comes from serving. It comes when you put other people ahead of yourself. 43, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. 
And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Is that you? Are you living your life to serve others? When you get out of bed in the morning and you pray and you read your Bible, is that just a kickstart to the day to make yourself feel good? Or are you praying for other people? As you head off to work for the day or whatever you might be doing during the day, are you thinking about the people around you, the people who you work with and how you can serve them? Do you even know what their needs are? Think about someone who you work with or spend your day with. Do you know right now what they need? Do they need help moving house? Do they need a friend? Do they need to be challenged about the gospel? Or are you so much at the centre of your work, of your universe at your workplace that you don't even know what other people's needs are? What about at home? Are you serving your family? Are you looking after their needs? What about when you come to church? As you walk in the door, are you praying that God might lead you to someone who you can encourage this morning? Are you thinking about what might be the needs of the people thinking, sitting around you and how you can serve them? Not just today, but during the week. If you are, well done. That is the way to be first in the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not suggesting that's easy, but that's what our desire should be, to serve others. And every now and then, we lose focus and it might become a bit of a burden and we might feel that we give, give, give and never get. That's not the time to stop and take a break. That's not the time to feel sorry for yourself and stop giving yourself to other people. That's the time to reset your thinking. Realise that you're not at the centre of the universe. Jesus is. That's the time to remember what Jesus did for you. The Son of Man came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Will you follow his example? Wanting to be great in the kingdom of God, it's a good thing. And the way to be great in the kingdom of God is to serve. You can desire to be great in this world and you'll be last in the kingdom of God. Or you can put yourself last now like Jesus did and you'll truly be great in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would humble us like the Lord Jesus humbled himself so that we will genuinely desire to serve other people. We pray that you would change us to make us like Jesus. Amen.